welcome back to Eat It Up. Nice. So this is the podcast where we talk about a little moment in history while also eating some local snacks. Okay, um, Sam, where is your snack from today? Today, th- thanks for asking. Um, no worries. I'm so gracious that way. Today I'm eating an Aztec bowl from uh, the Green Door in Ottawa. They're like a vegetarian vegan place. I don't know. Oh. Yeah, it's quite yummy. So it's like quinoa. I don't know, it's like a classic kind of like Mexican scramble. Oh, nice, okay. Did, did it have tofu in it? Uh, no, no tofu, no but tofu. quinoa, beans, uh, corn, kale, a really yummy dressing, but I don't know what's in it, but I, I liked it. And did you take a picture of it before you started eating? Um, obviously not. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's okay, we'll just yeah. be sharing a pic from Green Door this week. <laughs> well, they probably appreciate that. They probably want, like, you know what I mean, their professional studio photos rather than my dinky iPhone camera. I have to say the photos that are coming from my iPhone really look like level like circa grade seven when I first got like a camera phone like that's the quality we're producing here. (laughs) Well let me tell you my snack today I'm eating um it is very okay backstory this was my thought process so for today's episode because I knew what you were going to be talking about I thought it is a little bit more old school um it's about a topic that um maybe requires us to go back to our roots in food okay and so i decided to go with a bakery this week because i was like bakeries tend to have classic like dishes that we've had for centuries right okay and so i went to blacksmith bakery it has two locations in langley um actually i didn't even go my parents were really nice when i was working yesterday they drove to pick up my order because I had specially pre-ordered it because it was limited edition for this weekend. Wow. And what it is, is look at this beautiful croissant. Wow, it's gorgeous. It's like the croissant looks glossy. It does because it has like this sheen on one side and then not on the other. Like it is like a sticky like um, thing on top. But essentially what it is, you know, when I say like chocolate croissant, you're thinking that the inside is chocolate. Yeah. But what it is, is the pastry is chocolate and it's filled with mango curd topped off with whipped cream and then like little like bee pollen crisps on top bee pollen yeah oh my gosh and so my only bummer is we ordered four i've cut into two of them thus far and they don't have mango curd in them i'm really hoping this one does (laughs) but even then we have all agreed that the croissants are so good and chewy that we will go back um it it's just a I'm hoping that this one, as I eat it, will have the mango curd. I'll let you know. I'll just go out and say I wouldn't want it if it had mango curd. So really, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like curds. I'm not a curd guy. So you know what, Sam? You and I have very different taste buds. We we really do. And mine are the elite version. Well, I definitely appreciate. Well, that yeah, that's true. I definitely appreciate though um, the effort that you put into food, and I will say that I put I think equal effort into my food. <laughs> I think, and I think the listeners can, the, the listeners agree that me buying an Aztec bowl that, that I just randomly wanted to eat is equivalent to Maria especially pre-ordering a, um, a limited time dessert that is related to the theme of the podcast. So they're they're almost the exact same. I have to say. Well, I don't know. Should I give away? Well, once again, I, I'm always worried about giving away the theme of the episode, but it's like it's in the title. So, oh yeah. So I wasn't sure if I was pronounced Lettuce. Yeah. In my head, I wanted it to be pronounced Ludites. Oh, no, don't do that. 
Okay, it's not Ludite. Just go with kind of first go, first guess, Luddite. Okay. Hey. No, 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 no. I mean, I'm sure there's probably lots of listeners who are calling them Ludites, but um, they now know. Well, actually, I could be wrong. I'm just assuming it's Luddites, because that's how I've heard it, but it might be Ludites. I don't know. It's um, the Luddites in Italy. They're the Ludites. Yeah, exactly. The Ita- yeah, exa- yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, no, yeah. So we're talking, this week we're talking about the Luddites. Yes. And who was, who recommended this to us? Speaking of Italians, I want to give a special shout out to uh, Miss Mia Berloni. This is a podcast who very kindly suggested Luddites as a topic for our bite of history. And I didn't, I couldn't come up with anything worthwhile. And so, well, that makes it sound like Luddites was kind of just the only option, but no, but Luddites was a great idea. Yes, I thought it was. we hear that word thrown around all the time, sometimes as Luddites, sometimes as Ludites. <laughs> and so I just wanted to, you know, dive in. Yeah. March and talk a little bit about it. I'm excited for it. I honestly know nothing about this group. So I'm excited to learn. Have you ever heard people say, like call someone a Luddite? I have no clue what it meant. Okay. Because from what I would know of you, I would imagine you might even be called a Luddite. I would be. I have to say, I do have back when we were talking about Luddites and I looked into how they were anti-technology. Right. I remember back in grade two during computer class, we had to do typing. Yeah. And I remember thinking at that time, because I was bad at it. Yeah. I was like, this doesn't matter because this will never be important in my life to be good at typing. I will never need to know this skill. And you were so right. I just <laughs> and never typed again. Clearly. <laughs> I love that. You're you're definitely kind of yeah, you're you're intuitive that way. With I am. The trends are going. Well, another this also reminds me, the reason I would think you might be called a lay, uh, mm-hmm. is your kind of general aversion to technology. And I and I think yes. I'm at school, like at university, when Maria was telling me this is my favorite thing, Maria that really exemplifies her technological kind of deficits. But she Maria was um was telling she's like oh man my airpods are broken and i was like oh so that sucks they're so expensive whatever like that sucks they're not working I'm like, like are they charged she's like yeah they're charged and i'm like oh like um are they like is the bluetooth on on your phone like if you tried resetting them is the bluetooth on whatever she's like yeah i've tried everything they're just not working i'm like oh man that really sucks literally two days later maria comes up to me, oh i actually fixed them i'm like oh that's amazing how did you fix them she's like the bluetooth wasn't on on my phone Oh, no. No, it was the volume. I had turned the volume all the way down. <laughs> even worse. It wasn't even that she hadn't had the Bluetooth connected. Her volume was down. Oh, yeah. Like, that's just like a next level, like, that's, yeah. Anyways, that's Luddite. Honor Luddite. Yeah. Luddite behavior in the 21st century. Yeah, no. Adapting to new technology. Well, no. Adapting. You can adapt, but, you know, really embracing it. I don't embrace new technology. I thought that if I put an image onto Word doc, that I could use that as an image source. I didn't get what a JPEG was. Um, so overall, it's I'm a Luddite really at heart. So well, I'm excited to learn. It, it amazes me that, yeah, you can be 23 and, and be like <laughs> JPEG. I don't know. <laughs> Respectfully. But, Respectfully. Uh, no, but well, here's the thing, Maria, that I'm, gonna, that I'm gonna tell you about Luddites right off the bat. Yes. What you think of as a Luddite and what I was basically just implying about you. Yes. Um, the real Luddites, mm-hmm. they weren't actually really anti-technology. Oh. That's the first twist, okay? Oh, dang. So my cursory Wikipedia search was wrong? <laughs> well, I don't think it got the whole story, is all I'm going to say. 
Oh, okay. Well, now, now I'm actually very invested. I know it's kind of like a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's um, let's jump into it then. Okay. Let's do it. As I chew on my croissant. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the that's the kind of bonus when you're the one listening is you really get to eat. Yeah, that's true. Actually, yeah. I'm kind of you know being tortured by having to speak, and kind of by <laughs> torturing everyone listening with my voice. Anyways, okay. So the Luddites. Well. So do you, you know the term, but do you know, like, anything beyond, like, where they were, timeline, you have this sensor anti-technology, but do you know anything else about them? I'm going to say something wrong, I'm sure. Okay, no, that's... To me, Luddites would have, like, a German origin, just from the word. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, that is a good guess. It is, in fact, incorrect. But <laughs> I do love that you're thinking that you're, you're being creative, you're making inferences. So thank you. I just thank you. That up. Um, and if, if you were a listener and you thought they were German too, or, or Italian, <laughs> that is not correct, but it was a good try. So the, mm-hmm. yes. So the, the Luddites were a group of machine operators working in factories in England between 1811 and 1816. So, oh. so, they're, they're, so they were only there for those five years? Well, that's really when their, their protests, like their movement was, they maybe self-described as Luddites and used that term. Mm. Um, or mm-hmm. I don't even, I actually don't think they necessarily use that term, but I'll get into the, the terminology of why they're called Luddites. But um, that's really this movement that we call the Luddites. They're really between 1811 and 1816, a group of um, manufacturers working in the textile industry, because in, in, England, saying like Nottingham, where this movement started and where it kind of spread further north into England. Uh, right. the, the main, one of the main industries at the time was manufacturing, like textile manufacturing. So clothing, cloth, mm-hmm. stuff like that. The movement generally, people say like the, the first protest, uh, protest that I guess is identified with the Luddites is March 11th, 1811. Mm. It takes place in Nottingham in England, which is about 200 kilometers north of London. But like I said, the the movement starts to spread. And the way that they were protesting generally was by destroying machinery involved in the textile industry in these factories. So one of their main targets was this thing called the stocking frame, which wasn't actually really that new. It had been around for about 200 years. But... (laughs) I know. So, so it was, it, it was me going to destroy the printing press and they're like, it's been around for a yeah. while now. <laughs> so, yeah. So it wasn't necessarily a brand new technology. There'd been some modifications to it to, to make it right. more useful in an industrial context, but the technology right. itself, like that, that's kind of one of the first misconceptions maybe about the Luddites is like they're protesting this brand new technology. And so, and they're, you know, anti-progress, but really the, the tech itself that they were destroying in these protests weren't yes. really that they weren't brand new they they were oh, okay like at this industrial scale um but they but they weren't brand new themselves generally like the, the i guess the motivation for protesting we'll get into it a little bit later but they weren't really protesting this technology like it wasn't just some knee-jerk reaction against like the stocking frame as divisive right, right. Stocking frame is. But, they're like i want my legs bare <laughs> get rid of this machine <laughs> no stockings no stockings for me like this is in the context of the industrial revolution which we'll get into mm-hmm. a little bit more but they're really protesting against poor working conditions low wages mm. and a lack of work and the 
the machinery that they were using in the textile industry, like the stocking frame and, and other similar equipment, was seen as one of the, I guess, causes or things that was pushing out people who were highly skilled laborers working more in like cottage industries, I guess, like working from home, oh. who were making their own material. Right. Um, and the shift to this new technology that allowed the industrial production of textiles allowed for uh, employers, this like new, I guess, like managerial class to basically pay people really low wages in terrible working conditions. And, right. uh, and like there's widespread unemployment at the time. And so for oh. those reasons, you see these protests, like, yes, against the machinery, but more as like a, a protest against labor conditions broadly at the time. Right. They were cottage core. Cottage, cottage core, exactly, for you TikTokers out there. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it was not about the stocking frames, really. Okay. I mean, it's like, it's, it's about the stocking frames, but it's not about the stocking frames. The deeper meaning. Okay, so that's, that's the context. Does that make sense? Like, do you kind of get... It does. Yeah. So that honestly is shocking how, um, how misinformed I was. Well, I think the, the way, like, it's not really your fault. It's the way the word is used, right? Like, that's true, the context of it. Like when people refer to Luddites today, they, it's generally like just people who don't like technology or anti-technology for whatever, right. for whatever reason, anti-progress. Really, it's, it's more like a labor movement. Oh, okay. Right. Like, yeah. Like a purely anti-technological movement. Like early vibes of unionists. Well, yeah. I mean, we'll kind of get into that actually. <laughs> so, okay. So that's kind of the context of the Luddites. But if you're looking more broadly, like, like what is happening in England at the time? Mm -hmm. Why is there widespread unemployment, whatever? Mm -hmm. uh, there's two things I think we need to talk about. Yes. We need to talk about the Napoleonic Wars. Oh, yes. And the Industrial Revolution. Because if you don't understand the Napoleonic Wars and the Industrial Revolution, you can't understand the Luddites. Boom, click off right now. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I, I just absolutely popped off. Um, <laughs> so, so let's start with the Napoleonic Wars. Right. Like I said, the Luddites, um, their first protest really against these stocking frames and other technologies used in the textile industry is in 1811. So let's think, what else is happening in Europe at the time? In France, you have the French Revolution, 1789 to like 1799, right? So um, this, this rejection of the Ancien Regime, uh, the like the nobility, the absolute mm -hmm. monarchy, and um, the kind of putting into practice of a bunch of liberal ideas about democracy, the rights of people and citizens, et cetera, yes. et cetera. The culmination of, you know, the enlightenment, all these, these um, philosophical ideas kind of put into practice in, in the French Revolution. Yes, guillotine. And then of course, it's <laughs> a bit of a turn with the French Revolution and it gets a bit, um, a bit bloody and um, conflict over who's running the government, whatever, and it becomes quite violent. Right. But at the end of that, so at the end of the French Revolution in 1799, which is generally when historians say it, that's when it kind of ends, mm -hmm. is you have this coup of Brumaire, which is where Napoleon uh, basically orchestrates the over, it's a bloodless coup, so it's not like anyone dies, but it's basically the overthrowing of the existing uh, governance structure of the French government, and Napoleon is installed as what's called the first consul. And then a couple years later, becomes declares himself the emperor of France. So basically, you have like the the establishment of Napoleon as like um, the single ruler of France who has unilateral right. power. Napoleon, so, who iconically has small dick energy. 
well, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that was, I was going to that next. <laughs> I'll add it in later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can edit that later. No. Um, Napoleon, say, becomes the emperor, I think it's 1803. Yeah, I think you're right around then. I think 1803, 1804, Napoleon becomes the emperor. And mm -hmm. that's when France is in what's called the first empire. There's like a series of empires and a series of uh, republics, but we don't really need to get into that. So it's so the first empire, Napoleon's the emperor, and he starts waging war against various different European powers. And so one of the powers that he's fighting against um, is, is Britain between 1803 and 1814. And so there's various reasons for like, I guess why the war started. Some of it was conflict over colonies around the world that England and France were fighting over in the global south. Um, some of it was around an anxiety that France was reordering the Euro European political order and that it was kind of a threat to the whole system of European government right. because I, to do a throwback to the first episode, this is actually when the Holy Roman Empire ends. We're never going to stop talking oh. about the Holy Roman Empire. But, so no, no, you have to tie it in. Into, it'll be like our little nugget in each episode. And it's a Holy Roman Empire <laughs> podcast. But in 1806, that's when you have the collapse of the Holy Roman Empire and the formation of what's called the Confederation of Rhine, which is a bunch of these, what be, like, they're German states, they become Germany later. And it's right. after Napoleon defeats Russia and Austria in the Battle of Austerlitz. So because you have Napoleon coming in and mm -hmm. basically imploding the Holy Roman Empire, which yes. has been around since, like, for hundreds of years and is one of the yes. main kind of ways of, um, that's, like, parts of uh, Western Europe is organized, it's seen as, like, this threat to... I guess, the existing political order that had kind of... Yeah. So those are the kind of two main th things or some of the reasons why Britain and France went to war with each other at this time um, right. and various other powers get involved too. So, so that's one of the pieces of context is this, these Napoleonic wars that are happening between 1803, 1814. So if we're thinking again of the Luddites, their first protest is in 1811. So we have this war that's been raging for like eight years. Um, right. Very costly. The, the price of food is going up. Um, there's a lot of uh, economic upheaval, and so so people aren't people aren't happy, and they need they need work to pay for for food and everything else. So right. so that's one of the the things I guess that helps motivate I guess the Luddites. The key takeaway: all the Holy Roman Empire stuff. You don't have to know. It's just interesting to think because that's yes. the, the anxiety at the time with with Napoleon is that it's going to yes. the European political order. The second okay. thing, which is probably more central to the Luddites, is just the Industrial Revolution more broadly. Because, right, the, the Luddites are anti-technology insofar as it produces these, these poor labor conditions that are far different from what they were used to before in terms right. of, um, like, a lot of textile manufacturing being more handiwork, like artisanal, yes. rather than on a large industrial scale. Right. So we have to talk about the Industrial Revolution a little bit. Yes, we do. So yeah. do you have any thoughts about it? About the Industrial Revolution? Yeah, like... To me, when I picture it, I picture early England, and it's just covered in brown smog. Soot. 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 I just picture it's dirty. People are hacking away. Everyone's sick. Cholera everywhere, just yeah. leeching across the streets. So I picture brown upsetting England and people are just sick and ill and like that it's like horrible vibes is what I picture industrial revolution right okay well I honestly 
I don't know about that. I don't know about that anymore, <laughs> but I, what I can tell you about the Industrial Revolution. Right, right, okay. Um, so takes place between 1760 and say about 1820 to 1840, like the, the ending of when the Industrial Revolution is complete is kind of historians debate it. And it, it starts really in, in Britain is like the first country that it really, like in England that it, it happens and then it spreads throughout the rest of, of Western Europe. So um, the, the main like components, I guess, of the Industrial Revolution is this change from like uh, an agrarian, so like an agriculturally based economy, a handicraft, like artisanal economy that's mostly based or more so based in the home mm -hmm. and a shift towards industry and machine manufacturing. Right. That's like the, the general, like that's what the Industrial Revolution is, it kind of makes sense, mm -hmm. right? The shift towards an industrial economy um, and a whole range of, of series of, of different changes that we'll kind of run through. Uh, mm -hmm. But like, like I said, so the rise of manufactured goods, um, like textiles, um, use of new materials like iron and steel on an industrial scale, scale use of new energy, so coal, steam, electricity. Um, and because of that, you get like new transportation methods, like uh, train the steamboat yeah steamboat uh communication technology like and also at the same time you have like this is in the context of british imperialism and colonialism so a lot of the call like places that britain colonizes around the world a lot of the raw materials are sent back to britain for this development process for this mm. revolution they become the raw goods that are used for for manufacturing and also there then there's a whole series of like like that's kind of the basic like what was the industrial revolution but there's a whole series of other social knock-on effects that come from this revolution so one of the big ones is that because you have uh changes to agricultural technologies that allows um fewer people to produce food for the whole population you mm. have like a a freeing up of like the workforce that can then work say in um, factories or other places right. mass to operate the, this machinery. We're getting more streamlined. You're getting more streamlined. Um, you also start seeing um, generally population growth uh, in Europe due to like new foods, new food crops, commercialization, um, and like a concentration of labor too in factories. So you start seeing, because you have this free workforce, um, you have these factories that have to be located near a power source, whether steam or water, to operate the machines. You have people leaving their home, mm -hmm. moving into often like cities. So there's a lot of urbanization at the same time, um, moving near these power sources. And so there's greater productivity, right? Because you have these machines, they're uh, more efficient than people. And you also see a specialization of labor because you have um, people doing very more specific and more specific tasks in these right. central factory environments. Right. So that's kind of the, the general um, trend of the Industrial Revolution. Um, like I said, mostly, like Britain is the first uh, European country to really undergo it on a, on a large scale. And they try and keep it that way so that um, there's less competition from other European powers. Really? Um, but some of, in terms of like labor conditions, so like what do the factories actually look like? Um, um, so you have these, these managers who are, create these very strict rules around when people have to get to work, um, you know, no idle activity or banter while you're at work. Um, you have long work hour days. So like you're working 14 hours a day, which wasn't necessarily unusual 
in like say the agrarian economy, but it wasn't like yes. we're working 14 hours uh, straight with you. With no talking. With no, <laughs> without banter and whatever. Mm -hmm. um, the working conditions are like pretty dangerous. You have lots of, um, you have men, women and children working in many cases. Um, there's no kind of labor protections right now. It's not like there's unions or, or anything like that. So largely right. it's kind of a, it's relatively dangerous to work in these factories. There's low wages, um, yeah, and, and poor protection for those people. So that's kind of one of the, the consequences of the Industrial Revolution. And so if we're thinking like the Industrial Revolution starts in 1760, it's, it's been going on for about 50 years when we get to the start of the Luddite uh, movement, which is- Oh, okay. So that's kind of the, the context that we're in. Does that make sense? That does make sense. Great. Well then, let's get into the Luddites. So now we know about the Ionic Wars that um, that produced this kind of sense of uh, economic and anxiety amongst the people. You also have the Industrial Revolution that does similar things, um, but with more poor working conditions, concentrated workers, and urban centers. Right. So back to the Luddites. Um, <laughs> so like I said, they're a group of these machine operators in the textile industry, and they're attacking these stocking frames that are seen as like partially producing these poor working conditions. And so it's actually not the Luddites who are the first to like destroy machines as a form of labor protest. You have it from the 1760s onwards in England and in other European places. Um, so it's not just like the Luddites who are doing it, but I guess they made it kind of cool to do it. Um, that's, that's why we're still talking. <laughs> Very trendy. And so, um, like I said, you have these, it starts like the Luddite protests, protests start in 1811. Yes. Until about 1816, they spread all across Northern England and it becomes quite concerning for the British government because they're worried that it's going to, I guess, catch on. They're, the Luddites are seen as being really violent and threatening, even though really the Luddites mostly were destroying machinery and in some cases like the factory property, property more broadly. Uh, not like killing people. Not, not killing people. So you have thousands of troops deployed by the British government to try and limit the protests. And you have lots of the Luddites die in this conflict where you have the troops sometimes firing at them because they're seen as right. being, being dangerous. And then later you see a lot of these writings on the Luddites, which position them as being kind of anti-progress, anti-tech. But like I said, they're, they're really more about um, the working conditions. Trying to improve working conditions. Okay. Um, and it's not really like in the 1820s in England, you start getting um, like a national labor kind of union movement, but it's not, mm -hmm. that's, it apparently ultimately fails. And it's not until later that you get like a, a formal labor movement that's successful in, in, oh, in better working conditions. Right. But now, why are they called the Luddites? What the heck yeah. is that name? The Luddites. Where does that come from? Well, Mark, that's a great rhetorical question I asked. <laughs> <laughs> it is great, Sam. That Good on you. So, is everything making sense to you? It is. Um, just one question. Why particularly like the stocking press? Right. Did we already talk about that? No. Nope. I just... So, okay. Good question. So the stocking frame, I guess, was is seen as like one of the, the main technologies that's used to produce these textiles on a large scale. Right. But it's not the only technology necessarily that the Luddites try and destroy. There is like destruction of like factory property more broadly or of other um, other machines that are used in in textile manufacturing. 
my understanding is just that that was the most widely used technology in a scene. Right, it was like very common. Very common and, and really okay. the thing that allows for um, this, this shift away from uh, agrarian handicraft textile manufacturing towards right. industrial scale. But it's not the only technology that's destroyed. Um, there's there's other machinery that uh, don't worry they were destroying all of it. They, yeah, <laughs> like, you know there's cases of them, them of the Luddites trying to set like a factory on fire and things like that. So it's it's right. not uniquely I guess the stocking frame, but it's seen as like the main one of the main machinery. Right. Okay. So the 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 term Luddite comes from this guy Ned Ludd, who no appears, that's a horrific name who appears at the Nottingham protest in uh, 1811. And what you, would you rather your name be? Millhouse or Ned Ludd? Well, here's the thing. Everyone's still talking about the Luddites, but not in a good way. Um, so I would probably say, uh, I like Ludd. I'm team Millhouse. Okay. Call me Millie. Well, I guess um, the listeners can sound off in the comments. Um, <laughs> so you have this guy, Ned Ludd, who's moving between city to city, like in Northern England, who's inspiring these protests, you know, rallying them, try, trying to say like, this isn't fair, whatever. Mm-hmm. Here's the gag of it all. Ned Ludd isn't real. What do you mean? Jaw drop. He's not a real person. He's he he's like a symbolic figure in this movement. Oh, like a Robin Hood kind of guy. Like a Ronald McDonald. Sure. So really, this Ned Ludd guy is kind of like the symbolic rallying figure, like a symbolic figure for the movement. So a lot of oh. the letters that like the Luddites write, like the public letters, letters to government, whatever, they'll be signed by like. Uh, like Ned Ludd's office or though like oh. protests where they some of the the men who are protesting dress in women's clothes and they call themselves General Ludd's wives but Ned Ludd is not like a real person he's just like the the symbolic rallying point around the movement who's seen as the this guy who like I guess is is the leader of the Luddite movement interestingly there was a Ludd or a Ludham, they don't really, they're not sure, I guess, what his real name was, that 22 years prior in Leicester um, destroyed a stocking frame. And mm. like like I mentioned, like the Luddites were not the first ones to try and destroy like these machines, right. like as a form of, of protest against poor labor conditions. So 22 years earlier, there's this pr- apprentice apparently named Ludd or Ludham, who's working in a stocking frame. He's admonished by a supervisor for his poor work and he responds in protest by smashing the machine. So there is kind of like, the, there was a, a Ludd or a Ludham, but he's not, right. like the, the reason these protests between 1811 and 1816 get this name Luddite is because these people take up this imaginary figure of Ned Ludd, who is not like a real person. If you could make up any imaginary person that your group would then be named after, would Ludd be the first choice? Like no. That seems like a bold choice. But yeah, so that's uh, that's the deal. That's where Luddite comes from, is this, this imaginary okay. Ludd. Um, and yeah, so that's really, that's all she wrote on the Luddites. There was not as much controversy around them as there was around the witches, let me tell you that. There... So then the Luddites, like, because I thought that they were still around. Right. I thought that, like, it was almost like a group that started and then has like then evolved into modern day but it's that's not it they they stopped in 1816 ish yeah, my understanding like that's i think how historians at least date it or talk about it is that there's these right. this related series of movements where you have this symbolic figure ned Ludd leading this charge against the the like stocking frame and other 
technology used in the textile manufacturing industry and mm -hmm. wave of related protests goes on in Northern England until about 1816. But I don't think it's like the last instance of people destroying machinery in factories or wherever to try and protest working conditions. It's right. also just that they, they organize themselves around this Ned Ludge person. And then the term is taken up later by commentators to try and describe people who are just generally anti-technology or anti-progress. But it's not like there's um, a continuity between, say, like that movement right. or those protesters and others like later on until today. Okay. Yeah. So, but the word gets used all the time. If you it look, does. You look up Luddite, even if you try and look it up in like a, a library search or anything like that. Interestingly, a lot of it, if you go to say your university library portal and you try and look up Luddites, because I was trying to look up articles for this. Yeah. A lot of them are actually written by physicians who are critical of other physicians who are slow to take up new technology. Oh. Which is very, A, it's interesting to me that that has... I mean, this is just from my search on the portal, so it could just be yes. a, a function of, I don't know. It could be, it could be some artifact of just the, the search engine, but it was interesting to yes. me that most of the articles, like the top articles when you look up Luddite, some are historical, but most are actually written for medical journals. And are, it was like a passive aggressive. <laughs> yeah, it appears to have some extra currency or traction with physicians. Okay. And writing and their writings, which I think is especially interesting that like you have this group misusing this term or I mean, they're using yes. it in a colloquial sense, but um, I guess missing the historical context that really right. it's not like, like, because they're trying to draw comparisons, say these other physicians are just against technology because they're, they're against, yes. but it's really, I mean, the Luddites weren't against the stocking frames because they didn't like working on a stocking frame. It was just because yes. they uh, paid really poorly and yeah. jobs and had bad working conditions. It's not like they were, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's... <laughs> it's like, maybe do your research. But anyways, that's the Luddites. Um, we can do, I can do a little bit of significance after, but I don't really have much more to add. Okay, should I get into the significance of it? Yeah, okay, so how are, um, why should we know about Luddites today? How are they still significant? Okay, that's such a good question. Um, Thank you. Where do you come up with these questions? I just off the top of my head, I'm just like so smart. Like every week you ask this question in a really good way. So. <laughs> um, and I'm totally unprepared, but I have two ideas for why I think the Luddites. Yeah. So one of the reasons that I think the Luddites are significant obviously is on the basic level is the term is used really frequently today. Yes. Um, yeah. So like we were saying, it's used, it appears to be used relatively frequently, like in medical journals and in, in other kind of sectors to describe people who are against technological change or adaptation to, to present circumstances. Yes. But like we've talked about today, Maria, that isn't really what the Luddites were about. They weren't about no being against like uh, technological progress generally or modernity or anything like that. They just took issue with uh, their, their treatment as, as yeah. well and um, their poor working conditions. And yes, they did destroy these stocking frames, but they weren't particularly new. Um, and 
right? So it wasn't like they were attacking this brand new technology. It was a technology that had been used for a while, but it was in the context yes. that they're destroying it in this new industrial context where they're being paid really poor wages. Yes. So that's one. Now we know. One. So it's sort of like the vibes of how Watergate can also be significant just because we still use terms like it exactly. for historical events. Okay, so just the word itself. I get it now. But yeah, like, so yeah, like Watergate and the, the use of the, the suffix gate to denote a kind of controversy, the word Luddite is used all the time, and just colloquially, but it's kind of misused. And I think yes, it right. reveals, to that point, it reveals a certain, like, obviously a misreading, but also like an intention to portray someone as being backwards, which is in right. itself interesting. Like, we were talking about these physicians who are calling other physicians Luddites for not embracing technology. I just wonder, perhaps is that term being used to misrepresent their concerns about a new technology rather than them just being, like, I think there's relatively not, it doesn't, there, it's not like people can't be anti-technology generally. Yes. But I think yeah. people's concerns with new technologies are not the technologies themselves and necessarily the change, but more so the social and economic and political consequences of these new technologies. Right. And so sometimes it's like when you call someone a Luddite, like obviously like in jest, it's like, it doesn't matter. But like when yes. you people, like I'm just, I think about it. It's interesting when you have physicians say, yes. oh, you're a Luddite because you don't like this new technology. Well, maybe the, the people who are against it have other ethical, concerns. political, social, economic concerns yes. what those technologies might mean. So, but yeah, we should be, we should just be saying, yeah, I'm just like, it's just an, I think it's an interesting, it reveals something, I think, when you, when you call yeah. it a like in like that professional context or whatever else to try and like, whatever, represent an, another group's concerns a certain way. Yes. Cause, yeah. Because yeah, I mean, there are people who are like, just generally anti-technology and want to go back yes. to the free modern world, but they are not like, the vast majority of people working in professional. No, and you're kind of just ignoring their concerns and like placing that label on them. Yeah. It's, as opposed to understanding why they oppose it. Maybe, like that. that's maybe what Potentially. I mean. Potentially, yeah. I mean, maybe there are some people who are just like, I don't know, against using- Anti-vaxxer doctors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's maybe, maybe it, yeah. But it's just interesting. Yeah, so, so there's this use of the term, kind of misused, whatever. And I mean, the second thing, like more broadly, thinking about our own context now and the, the future of um, technology and the rapid acceleration of the pace of change in our lives. Like even yes. if it's about things like social media and how much that's reorganized our societies, how much that's reorganized right. our politics. Um, and you know, the, the, the emergence, this, this, this coming wave of automation and AI and these other new technologies that are likely going to restructure our society in, in mass mm -hmm. ways in, the, you know, century to come, that will obviously have a whole series of knock-on social, economic, political effects. Um, and like, I think about like the, the Luddites who are living through like this industrial revolution. So I just think about like, for us, what that means, um, maybe as we go through this, this kind of new, um, not industrial revolution, perhaps, but this new change in our, in our uh, technological conditions that will change how we how we relate to each other and how we work and all these other things. Are you not going to rope QAnon into this? No, I actually, <laughs> you're like, you're missing a link. I'm like number three. That's QAnon. <laughs> um, no, today, I didn't want to talk. Today, the Luddites, I don't think relate to QAnon. Oh. Well, I mean, you could say like maybe, I mean, you could say the emergence of social media has definitely aided certain 
fringe conspiracy communities to be able yes. to reinforce each other's beliefs such that they, right. they become more and more real and then to organize into actual like protests or capital riots or whatever. Yeah. So I mean, right. like that is, I guess, a, a function of technology that's reordered our um, economic and political context, but I guess it doesn't necessarily directly relate to the Luddites. I just okay. like of us going through this new kind of these new changes with artificial yeah. intelligence and all these other things. Like, I don't think necessarily people who have issues with them are always against the technology themselves. But right. the concerns are around the effects of the technology. Like, what is it going to be? And like, who is left behind? Who's left behind? Who's going to be unemployed as a result yeah. of the automation of a whole bunch of jobs? Um, and right. it's not like people aren't Luddites for questioning that, like, and for saying, no. is this a good thing? Or what are the, the negative consequences? They're not Luddites for saying that. They are just questioning. They just want, they might, or maybe they, they might be Luddites, but they might also just want um, fair economic and social conditions. Okay. A radical Lots idea. <laughs> but yeah, that's all I have on the Luddites. Um, so Sam, to wrap it up here, mm -hmm. uh, would you recommend Green Door? Absolutely. Food is yummy. Um, yeah, it's delish. So that's all I have to say. Would you recommend um, Blacksmith? I, I will absolutely be going back. Um, their croissants, like I haven't had a croissant like that in so long. You know how most of the time you bite into them and they're just soft and they kind of like mm -hmm. have a little bit of chew, but you're really just eating the the theory of a croissant. Yeah. These are like true, like the one I had is like a true croissant. Like it has like a hundred different layers that you can see, oh like the pastry. Right. It's crunchy as you bite down, but then chewy as you work through uh, it. Yeah. Okay. So it's delicious. My only catch is that this one I ate again today, it didn't have any mango curd in it. Um, but it was a limited edition flavor for just this weekend. Yeah. So it's not like, I will go back and just try other treats. They look delicious. So I will go back. I'm just slightly bummed about the mango. Right. Fair. And that's fair, girl. That is valid. <laughs> that is your, valid. your opinion is valid. That is such a valid thing to feel about your mango card. <laughs> um, so do we want to give a hint as to what we're doing next week? Oh my God. It's what I'm doing. Yeah. Okay. So, so... What are you talking about next week, Morgan? Can you what what bite of history are you bringing to the table next week? Can you tell me? So I, I'm only gonna say this one thing because I I don't want to give it away too much, but it won't be a bite of history. It'll be a drink of history. A drink. A drink. What? A 20th century warring drink of history. Oh, what could that mean? <laughs> Just I think I know. <laughs> Oh, also, everyone, if wherever you're listening to this, too, whether it's on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, we really appreciate if you could like and give a review, um, just because that helps us a little bit to move up and have more people find us. Because um, right now, thankfully, we're very much supported by a lot of our friends, where we're hoping that we can continue to reach slightly broader audiences. And so the best way to do that is if you review or like um, the item our podcast essentially so that so that these platforms know that we're a decent decent podcast <laughs> yeah, give us a rating a rating <laughs> thanks to our listeners for listening uh as always feel free to send along questions comments feedback mm -hmm. positive or negative or constructive uh we yeah. appreciate it if there's any topics you want covered this episode once again was inspired by a listener's uh <laughs> by miss me or yes. So shout out to her. Uh, if anyone else has a topic they want covered, let us know.
Yeah, just message us on Instagram at eatituppod. Perfect. And that's all we have for you today. You wrote. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.